This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us. In Revelation chapter 17, the Apostle John relays his vision of a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns, and the name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Well, this is a really disturbing passage of Scripture, and Revelation actually does have a lot to say about the new Babylon, whose rise plays a significant role in the end times. What should we we understand about Babylon and God's plan for his world as the last days unfold. We're going to tackle that today with Dr. Ron Rhodes. He's president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries and author of a new book we'll be discussing called New Babylon Rising, the Emerging End Times World Order. Dr. Rhodes, it's great to have you with us again. How are you? Doing fine. And how about yourself? Doing wonderful. I'm so glad to talk to you again. It's been a while and another wonderful book. And the subject of the Emerging End Times World Order I have to say, seems more relevant than ever before. Everything you're writing about in this book, I'm saying, yes, check, check, check. We have to look at this, though, don't we? What's going on all around us? Well, we really do. And uh, in fact, uh, over 25% of the Bible is prophecy. And you can't ignore that. Right. 25% of the Word of God. And not only that, but Babylon is such a central aspect of scriptural revelation did you know that the Bible mentions Babylon over 400 and, or over 280 times? Mm. And there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation, and out of that, 44 deal with Babylon. Mm. So that's 11% of the book of Revelation. And so to me, that's, that says that Babylon is important, and since Scripture explicitly talks about the rise of new Babylon in the end times, I think this is something we need to know about. Well, I do too. And immediately when we talk about Babylon, people will say, well, wait a minute, there's Babylon talked about in the Old Testament, there's Babylon in Revelation, I'm confused. What is the distinction between Babylon, the ancient civilization, and the Babylon of Revelation? Well, certainly they're similar in one way, and that is that both of them were proponents of false religion. Both of them were led by leaders who were anti-God leaders. Both of them set up monuments to themselves. Uh, In ancient Babylon, we read about the Tower of Babel, which was anti-God from beginning to end. And uh, in the same way, we find that in New Babylon, we're going to have a leader whom we know as the Antichrist, and uh, he's going to also set up monuments to himself, and he's going to sit in the Jewish temple, and he is going to proclaim himself to be deity. And so, you know, there's a lot of parallels between the, uh, the ancients and the moderns, if I might put it that way. Um, it's interesting to me that ancient Babylon was founded and led by Nimrod. And I don't know how much study that you've done on Nimrod, but he was the political head of Babylon, just as the Antichrist will be the political head of New Babylon. Mm. Nimrod was the promoter of false religion, just as the Antichrist will promote false religion. Nimrod's name means rebel. 
Do you think the Antichrist will be a rebel? Yes, absolutely. And also Nimrod was a hunter of human beings. That's what his name means, hunter of human beings. And likewise, the Antichrist will hunt down Christians and Jews during the tribulation period and execute them. And just as Nimrod was an enemy of Israel, so the Antichrist will be. And so the point that I'm making is that there's just an awful lot of parallels between the two. But I have a sneaking suspicion that New Babylon will be much more powerful because it's going to be such a great kingdom that it's going to have global influence under the leadership of the Antichrist. Right. And yet there is a lot of disagreement on who the New Babylon is. I've read a lot of different interpretations. We have people saying it's the Roman Catholic Church, other people saying, as you mentioned, the book First Century Rome. How do you see New Babylon properly defined as opposed to what some of the other theories on it may be? Well, first of all, let me say that um, I certainly have respect for my colleagues who have written on this topic who have a different viewpoint. And I think that we have to approach all Bible prophecy with a spirit of humility, but at the same time have very strong convictions about what we believe. And so I have very strong convictions about it, even though I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to approach this with humility, with recognition that, you know, all of us could be wrong at some point. Right. But here's the thing. When you look at Scripture, in, in particular, when you look at uh, prophetic Scripture, the thing that I always pay attention to is how previous prophecies were fulfilled in the Bible. You see, if you want to understand how God's going to fulfill prophecy in the future, just take a look at how He has fulfilled prophecy in the past. Yes. Because God is perfectly consistent. So here's the thing. All the prophecies of the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the first coming of Christ were fulfilled exactly literally. Right. You know, he was to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14, in Bethlehem, Micah 5:2. He was to be pierced for our sins, Zechariah 12:10 and Isaiah 53. I mean, on and on we could go. And so that leads me to interpret prophecy about the second coming and all the events that lead up to it just as literally. And you know, Janet, I've told you before that when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, (laughs) lest you end up in nonsense. Perfect. (laughs) And so when I look at Babylon, every other reference in the Bible to Babylon is literal. And we don't really find any justification for taking Babylon as a metaphor for something else, at least in my opinion. The one exception, if I might mention it, is mystery Babylon, But that's a King James-ism, if I might put it that way. Mm. Uh, None of the modern translations render it Mystery Babylon. In fact, the word mystery doesn't even belong with the word Babylon in the original Greek. Rather, Babylon is said to have a mysterious name. Mm -hmm. So the point is, there's no reference to Mystery Babylon. And so really, there's no justification for taking it as a, a, a metaphor for something else. And every other city in the book of Revelation is literal. And that's good to know. Every other city. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that's good to know because when I quoted at the top of the program, Revelation chapter 17, the way it's written out, I can't remember which version I'm using here. I think it was NIV. But it says the name written on her forehead was a mystery, colon, colon. And then it says Babylon the Great. So it doesn't say mystery Babylon. There's a distinction there. Well, that's right. And it's important to understand what the word mystery means. Um, A a mystery, understood biblically, is something that was not revealed in Old Testament times, but is now revealed for the first time. 
for example, the rapture is said to be a mystery. Mm-hmm. Now, resurrection was revealed in Old Testament times, but not the rapture. So when the rapture was revealed for the first time in New Testament uh, uh, times, that was called a mystery because it wasn't revealed previously, but was now being revealed. Mm. In the same way, Babylon's name is said to be a mystery because this new name that Babylon has is something that wasn't revealed back in the book of Genesis when we read about Babylon, but is something that is now being revealed. And what's the mystery? Well, the mystery indicates that um, Babylon is really the source of all false religion in the world, wow. the ultimate source. That's what the name ultimately means. And so that, that's something that was not revealed before. So if you want to understand the mystery, that's basically it. Um, what it certainly does not say is that the word Babylon is to be interpreted allegorically of New York City or <laughs> the, uh, America or, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. And, and uh, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of different viewpoints on this. There are. Yeah, but, that's uh, a good that's a good point, though. That's a really good point that when we're talking about what the word mystery is, and First Thessalonians talk about talks about mystery as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that's an important point because when people are trying to look at Revelation and try to, well, let's see, let's read the description of Babylon and see if we can look around and find a city that looks pretty much like what's described in Revelation, then maybe we'll suddenly figure it out. And I think that's what you're talking about when you mentioned in the book that there are those who actually believe that Babylon might be New York City, which sounds a little far-fetched. I've had people actually say that maybe Babylon is, is a city maybe like Mecca. Who knows what that's about? I'm not really sure what that, you know, is supposed to tell us, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, though, with Dr. Ron Rhodes. His book is called New Babylon Rising. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, spending a few minutes with Matt Bellis with Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt, people have a lot of questions today about their healthcare coverage. How is it that Liberty HealthShare works? Well, we work on an individual basis of mutual aid and sharing. So it's not a pooling of funds. It's not a big, complex, bureaucratic mess. It really is. Whenever you have a health care bill, our members go in and share in your medical expenses. And we have seen the decrease of costs, the decrease of complexity, and the increase of accessibility and freedom. So we change the whole script on its head when it comes to health care. So we're not beholden to large third-party payment systems that dictate to you to your health care. We set you free in your health care where you're guiding it based on your principles and beliefs. Why do so many members choose and recommend Liberty HealthShare? Well, there's a lot of reasons, frankly, but a lot of the reasons that people start with is cost. Health care has become very expensive. Trying to pay that every single month or actually going to the doctor's office and having to take care of massive medical bills, that's a big drawback from third-party payment systems. And with Liberty HealthShare, we've done everything we can to try to bring that cost down as much as possible. But once people are a part of the community and see that it is an affordable option for them, they start to see that they're helping their neighbor each and every month 
go to bed every night knowing that you contributed to somebody else who has a need. And that's what being a part of a community is really all about. Thanks, Matt. More information about Liberty HealthShare is available at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or their phone number is 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today talking with Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries and author of New Babylon Rising, the Emerging End Times World Order. And we're getting a handle on what in particular Revelation has to say about the new Babylon, the Babylon that is to come. And Dr. Rhodes, I'm curious to ask, because I do agree with you, if we had prophecies literally fulfilled in the Old Testament, then we are on really shaky ground when we try to allegorize prophecies in the new. I I totally agree with you on that. Does that then follow that you would think Babylon, as it is revealed, will actually be called Babylon? What about the name itself? Well, I think it will be. It may be something like New Babylon or something similar to it, but yes, I do. And um, certainly the Bible uses that name in the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18, even though there's two different aspects of Babylon that the book of Revelation talks about. But since the Bible uses that term, and since every other city mentioned in the book of Revelation is a literal city known by that term, it makes good sense to me that it will be called Babylon in the end times. And, you know, some people have wondered, well, you know, how could that come about so fast in the end times? Let me tell you, the Antichrist will have unlimited funding and unlimited builders. Hmm. What the Antichrist wants, the Antichrist will get. And uh, just as Nimrod set up the Tower of Babel very quickly, so the Antichrist with his resources will be able to build uh, a new Babylon very, very quickly. Even um, Saddam Hussein built it up pretty quickly with his, his money, his oil money. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I, I don't really think that that's going to be a problem for this viewpoint. Well, now you also believe it will be a literal city along the Euphrates. So that's the location then. Well, that's right. Just like ancient Babylon was along the Euphrates. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, when you have a geographical marker like that, you can't just ignore those kinds of geographical markers. You you can't say it's New York City along the Euphrates. (laughs) You know, you can't say that it's, um, you know, Mecca along the Euphrates. Uh, And and in fact, here's something to think about. You know, I did, did a lot of study in terms of how the book of Revelation relates to the Old Testament. And one thing that's very interesting to me is how heavily the Apostle John draws from Jeremiah 50 and 51 when speaking about God's future judgment of a literal Babylon. Hmm. And when you read Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah is talking about a distant judgment of Babylon that has not yet taken place. Wow. This is the tribulation period. And, you know, he talks about it in literal terms as a literal city. And the terminology that you find in Jeremiah in describing Babylon is identical to the same the, the kind of language that John uses in um, Revelation 17. So obviously they're talking about the same thing here. And so what you have to conclude is is that if Jeremiah the prophet was speaking about a judgment of a literal city of Babylon, and since Revelation draws from Jeremiah, 
we have to conclude that John was doing likewise in the book of Revelation. That's interesting. That's really interesting, that that connection between Jeremiah 50, 51 and what John was writing in Revelation. So when you go through, as you do in the book, the list of all of the events, the chronology, as it were, of the end times, one of the main things that has happened, not in my lifetime, but you know, a lot of people who are listening probably remember, um, was in 1948 with the rebirth of Israel. Where do we go from here? What what are some of the next things that will go on or are going on in the present day leading up to the rise of and the revealing of New Babylon? Well, what we see today is that the stage is being set for the future. And this is typical of biblical prophecy. Prophecy has a tendency to cast its shadows before the, the real thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might look at it as foreshocks of an earthquake. You know, before a big earthquake strikes, you're going to have some foreshocks. In a similar way, we see some preliminary setting of the stage for the prophecies that will be fulfilled with New Babylon. Now, you're right. Israel was reborn as a nation in 1948, so that was the super sign. Without that one sign, nothing else would make sense. For example, there can't be a rebuilding of the temple in Israel unless there's an Israel that's been reborn. True. The Antichrist cannot sign a covenant with Israel to begin the tribulation period unless there's an Israel to sign a covenant with. You see, so all the different prophecies relate in some way to Israel being reborn as a nation. Mm -hmm. And so the thing of it is, is that we read in Scripture that New Babylon will be a persecutor of the Jews during the tribulation period. And we also read that there will be great apostasy that emanates from New Babylon all over the world. Do we see some stage setting today for those kinds of things? Oh, yeah. I think we do. We're witnessing a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism around the world. And in fact, you know, the Bible prophecy in Ezekiel 36 through 39 talks about how when Israel becomes a nation again, the Jews will, year after year, stream back to the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. And that's been happening. And you want to know why it's happening today? Anti-Semitism. Yeah, for sure. Jewish people tell us themselves that the number one reason why they're going back to the Holy Land is because of anti-Semitism. And so I think that's setting the stage for the, uh, the, the great persecution that New Babylon will engage in during the, you know, the future tribulation period. Mm. I also mentioned the rapture in this section. And the reason why that's important is that when all the Christians vanish off planet Earth, along with the Holy Spirit who indwells the Church, that sort of greases the skids for the easy rise of the false religion associated with New Babylon. Yeah. No Christians will be around to resist it. And so, you know, it's, it's all connected, you know, like, like pieces of a puzzle. And um, what we're seeing today is a lot of prophecies that actually relate only to the, the tribulation period, but the stage is being set today. Yes. You know, for example, the, tri- the uh, tribulation temple will one day be built. But even today, we're witnessing the Sanhedrin raising money for the rebuilding of the temple. We're witnessing the Jewish Sanhedrin calling for architectural plans for the rebuilding of the temple. Mm. I mean, all the stuff that's happening today is actually setting the stage for what we're going to witness during the tribulation period, including the rise of New Babylon. Yeah. Well, now, one of the other things that you talk about in the chronology right after Israel being reborn 
is apostasy. We always see apostasy to some extent. I mean, it's always been with us. But what do you make of the apostasy that we're seeing? I see endless statistics in my job of, you know, this many people are leaving the church. This many religiously unaffiliated Americans are, are now in this growing group. And, you know, we're always seeing this kind of thing. The church is in trouble. How do you interpret the apostasy we're seeing right now? Do you see it as significant? Do you see it as just you know, cyclical in, in church history? How do you interpret that? Well, I interpret it as a fulfillment of, of biblical prophecies of the last days. You know, the Apostle Paul in both First Timothy and Second Timothy spoke a great deal about apostasy emerging in the last days and in the latter times. Yeah. And to me, this is being fulfilled before our very eyes today. We're witnessing Christian leaders denying that God is all-powerful, that mm-hmm. God knows all things. Mm-hmm. We're witnessing Christian leaders who are saying that Jesus is not the only way of salvation. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the popular views that's come up with the, uh, the emerging church movement of, uh, of yesterday is this idea that God really has an opt-out program for salvation. As long as you don't opt out, you're saved whether you're a Muslim, a Hindu, a Christian, or whatever. Wow. So as long as you don't opt out, everybody is saved. <laughs> oh. Now, this is part and parcel of the apostasy that Scripture says will take place in the latter times. Paul talked about it in First uh, Timothy as well as Second Timothy. And, uh, you know, um, as I look at these prophecies, how can anyone deny that what we're witnessing is coming to pass? I know. You know, Paul references uh, lovers of self. There's going to be lovers of self in the last days. We might call that humanism. There are lovers of money in the last times. We might call that materialism. Sure. Scripture prophesies lovers of pleasure. That's hedonism. Did you know that humanism, materialism, and hedonism are three of the most prominent philosophies of our day? Mm -hmm. And by the way, those three philosophies will predominate in New Babylon. How about that? Uh, you know what else comes to mind is inventors of evil. That's the phrase that has always stood out for me in the list of all of the, you know, the sin that's on the rise. You know, the men will become inventors of evil. I mean, we're seeing that too. I mean, things that nobody could have even predicted 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. You know, I, I can be a non-binary, uh, transgender, queer, lesbian. I mean, who talked like this 10 years ago? It's, it's crazy. Well, that's right. In fact, there's been a radical redefinition of tolerance today. And tolerance doesn't just mean that you'll go along with somebody else's viewpoint. Rather, tolerance today means that you have to accept their viewpoint as perfectly valid, yes. just as valid as your viewpoint. Yes. And so the big enemies today have become the, um, the Christians, who are now considered intellectual Neanderthals, because they don't go along with this. At least most Christians don't. Um, I will tell you that we're witnessing apostasy, though, uh, in in this area, in areas of sexuality in the Christian church today. Um, Statistically, there's a growing number of Christians who are okay with homosexuality, just as one example. Unthinkable. And so, you know, we're we're living in sobering times. We certainly are, and we're seeing more infighting, it seems to me. There, there's always been a divide in the visible church between the wheat and the chaff, obviously, but it, it, there's infighting now where pre- people who previously were trusted leaders and pastors in evangelicalism are now beginning to say things, and it's really causing a lot of cognitive dissonance. Well, wait a minute. I thought this person was sound. I thought this person had, you know, biblical convictions, and as it turns out, I think people are being really shocked in the last several years about some of the things that are going on in once-trusted circles of 
evangelical churches. Well, that's exactly true. And, you know, one of the things I just keep emphasizing to people over and over again is to be a Berean. Yes. Always test everything against Scripture. I don't care who says it. If your pastor says it, check it out against Scripture. Amen. If somebody on the radio, like Ron Rhodes says it, check it against Scripture to make sure that it's biblical. Amen. And you know what? That's how you can tell a biblical man is when he says, please check what I'm saying according to Scripture. So great. We're going to take another break. Dr. Ron Rhodes' book is New Babylon Rising. We'll be right back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We're back on Janet Mefford today. Always great to have you here and always great to talk with Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. His new book is called New Babylon Rising, the Emerging End Times World Order. And we were talking through a lot of what the Bible has to say about Babylon. And we see Babylon in the Old Testament. We see references, as you mentioned before, 11% of Revelation is talking about Babylon, the new Babylon. And this will be a very scary thing. Uh, ultimately, the Lord will win, clearly. But when we're looking at New Babylon, you describe New Babylon, Dr. Rhodes, as both religious and commercial. What are you talking about there? What does that mean? Well, in Revelation 17, we read about the religious aspect of New Babylon. And then in Revelation 18, we read about the economic and political aspect of Babylon. The religion associated with New Babylon will one day come to an end. In fact, it'll happen right in the middle of the tribulation period. We know that because right in the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist claims deity, and he sets himself up as God inside the Jewish temple. And in fact, uh, people are required to take the mark of the beast, and the only people who can buy or sell during the tribulation period will be those who receive the mark of the beast. And this is kind of a squeeze play to get everybody to start worshiping the Antichrist. Now, he will permit no competitors. And so since he's not going to have any competitors, the false religion associated with uh, New Babylon is out the back door. Mm. And at that point, New Babylon shifts into a new form of business, I might say, and that's going to be an economical and political system. Now, I might mention to you that this is common in the business world. Uh, In the business world, there's a saying, adapt or die. (laughs) Yes. Or out with the old, in with the new. Yes. There's all kind of companies that illustrate this. For example, Avon was founded back in 1886. Salespeople took books door to door, but they also gave female customers some perfume, just as a little incentive. Before long, the perfume became more popular than the books, and so Avon became a perfume company. Hmm. Adapt or die. Hmm. Out with the old, in with the new. <laughs> Same thing happened with Wrigley Gum and Nokia. All of these companies started out with one thing and shifted to another. That's what New Babylon will do. It starts out as strictly a false religion, but then it shifts into a major economic system in the uh, second half of the tribulation period. Wow. 
Wow, that's going to be incredible. But as you say, you, according to your chronology and the timeline that you're drawing from Scripture, the, the Christians will not be around to see this, as you mentioned. And I, I love this line. There, you, you have such a good way with words. Some of the things that you write, I just fixate on. Oh, I love this line. When you talk about the church being raptured prior to the tribulation period, one of the reasons for that is you say, because God typically delivers his people before his judgment falls. And I thought, well, that's so reassuring. And that's that is a pattern that you see throughout Scripture. Well, it is. And, you know, it's like I said before, it it all comes together like pieces on a puzzle. I mean, it's so cohesive when you look at it. Um, You know, for example, if there was going to be a rise of this false religion with New Babylon, the two major groups that would stand against that, Janet, would be Christians and Muslims. Hmm. Those are the two big religions that would stand against it. Mm -hmm. But number one, the rapture of the church is going to remove Christians prior to the tribulation period. Secondly, the Ezekiel invasion of Muslim nations into Israel will apparently take place right before the tribulation, or at the worst, right at the beginning of it, at which time God himself will judge the Muslim nations and take them out. That removes the two major resistances to the rise of the false religion associated with New Babylon. Hmm. That's what I mean when I say it it fits together like pieces in a puzzle. And so what we're seeing today is that all of these pieces of the puzzle are preparing the way for what's going to transpire during the seven-year tribulation period. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. I'm trying to get the word out, and I know there's a lot of people out there who are naysayers. You know, I'm being attacked by preterists and liberals and... Hmm. I guess there's been five books in one way or another who have attacked me, um, you know, just because I'm holding to what Scripture says Crazy. instead of uh, you know <laughs> going along with some of the liberalism that's out there. Yeah. Well, thank God for you. I'm so glad you're holding the line, and that's we need that. We need you to hold the line. You too, Janet. You too. I'm so proud of you for standing strong on the truth. Oh, thank you. Well, I I appreciate everything that you do, and I always learn from you every single time that we're talking on the radio about a particular book that you're doing and a particular subject that you're discussing. What about the rise of the Antichrist uh, that you discuss in the book, Dr. Rhodes? What is the role of the Antichrist in the New Babylon? We know some of the things that you've mentioned uh, prior to, you know, this discussion that we're having right now. But what do people need to understand about what the Antichrist is going to do, uh, kind of in that Nimrod sort of role that you mentioned? Well, I think what's the, the primary thing is to see the close connection between the Antichrist and his squeeze play on the world, known as the Mark of the Beast, and the financial success of New Babylon. Now, just think about it a minute. New Babylon is going to be purchasing goods from all over the world, and those goods are going to be shipped to New Babylon by ships, you know, big boats. Yes. And who is it that can buy or sell? Well, the only people who can buy or sell are those who have received the mark of the beast. Right. That means that the Antichrist himself controls all economy during the, the second half of the tribulation period. And there's the close connection, I believe, between New Babylon and the Antichrist. The reason why New Babylon becomes incredibly rich and is an economic success is because of the squeeze play of the Antichrist in terms of the mark of the beast. Mm. Now, there's certainly other things that will come into play here. You know, when you look at uh, how the Antichrist is going to mimic Christ in many ways, uh, he's also going to set himself up as the, the, the king of the world, as God on earth, um, he is going to 
uh, make people worship him around the world, just like God was worshipped and Jesus was worshipped in New Testament times. So there's going to be that aspect of the Antichrist, too. But one thing I always want to do is to help people to understand that this is not just a counterfeit Christ. This is a person who is going to be against Christ in every way. Every way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the Antichrist is, the, is uh, the man of sin, whereas Christ is the man of sorrows. True. Christ is the son of God, but the Antichrist is a son of perdition. Christ is called the lamb. The Antichrist is the beast. Mm-hmm. Christ is called the holy one. The Antichrist is the wicked one. Christ submitted himself to God, whereas the Antichrist defies him. Christ humbled himself. The Antichrist exalts himself. I mean, I could just go on and on and on 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 all of this. But the fact is, is that the contrast could not be greater between the true Christ and the Antichrist. And the reason I mention that to you, Janet, is that when Christ comes again, it is he who will not only already have wiped out Babylon, but he himself will slay the forces of Antichrist. Wonderful. And the scripture says he does that by the sword of his tongue. Hmm. And I can basically picture that in my mind's eye as, as Christ coming at the second coming and saying to all the, the rebels on the earth who are part and parcel of the Antichrist army, drop dead. <laughs> and they are wow. gone. Just yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And does this tie in in your view when you talk about the coming cashless society? Uh, people oh, like yes. to talk about the law. You know, the, everybody's worried. Oh, man, look at what's happening. Chips in the skin and all that. Um, that that will be in full force, it would seem. It would. See, the only way that a um, squeeze play like the Antichrist is going to engage in during the tribulation would work is if, in fact, there was a cashless society. Because if people still took cash, there could always be some under-the-table negotiations. True. But the fact is, is that even today, we're witnessing the emergence of a cashless society. And in fact, some countries of the world have already gone completely cashless. Even in the United States, we are using 70% less currency than we did 10 years ago. Mm. And everything is either on your smartphone or on your credit card. Or, you know, I mean, who, who pays by checks anymore? Hardly anybody. Yeah, it's a little creepy. <laughs> Although I, I do still have a checkbook, checkbook though. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, um, a museum piece that I keep around <laughs> just for, you know, my, just show my kids maybe. Exactly. Maybe, and, my, and my kids' kids and so forth. <laughs> Look but, at this uh, thing with yeah, my name on it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I think what, you, what you're seeing today with um, how so many countries are becoming cashless is actually preparing the way. Yeah. for the control of the Antichrist over the world economy during the tribulation period. Well, we'll come back to this. Dr. Ron Rhodes, his book is called New Babylon Rising. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5. 
20 Bibles for $100 or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. My guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries and author of another great book. This is fantastic. New Babylon Rising, the Emerging End Times World Order. And I, you know, you probably are like this, Dr. Rhodes, since you've written like this for so many years, but it's scary and yet it's exciting because this is ultimately the Bible coming to pass exactly as God promised it would. So it, I have sort of a dichotomy going on when I see all of this stuff. I'm like, it's going on and it's scary, but Lord, come quickly. It's going to be wonderful, too. Well, that's right. And in fact, um, I, I think that you and I as Christians need to understand why God gave us prophecy, because God didn't just give us prophecy so we would have intellectual knowledge about the end times. Yes, I mean, certainly he wants us to be aware of that. That's why he tells us all about the signs of the times. But the thing of it is, every time you read Bible prophecy, you find a verse right next to it that says, therefore, live in purity, live righteously, Mm -hmm. commit yourself to God, recommit yourself to God. We are children of the light, not of the children of the night. We are people of the day, you know, we're, yes. we're supposed to be living in righteousness. That's right. And so the prophecies that, that are in the Bible are always portrayed as an incentive to live the Christian life. And also, I happen to think that in a lot of cases, God anticipates that we're going to be fearful when we hear these things. You know, I think about when Jesus was talking to some of his followers about Bible prophecy in John 14. One of the first things he tells them is, let not your hearts be troubled. Mm. Yeah. He, he knows that they're going to be, you know, their first inclination is to start worrying about stuff. I think about the Apostle Paul, who in 1 Corinthians four thirteen through 18, is talking about Bible prophecies related to the, re, the rapture. Yes. He didn't want them to worry about stuff. So, then, so he says in verse 18, comfort yourself with these words. <laughs> you see. Beautiful. And so God doesn't want us to be fearful. In fact, you know, the whole book of Revelation was actually written by John to a group of Christians who were not only being persecuted, but martyred. Mm-hmm. And um, the book of Revelation was intended to bring them comfort. It's like my old friend Walter Martin used to say, he's now with the Lord, but he used to say, I read the last chapter in the book and we win. I love that. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've heard that 
requoted by my, many, many other people, but, the, you know, it's true. Yeah, it is. When you look at Revelation 21 and 22, it can't get better than those passages of Scripture. Anybody who is concerned about what awaits them as Christians in the future, turn over to Revelation 21 and 22 and feast your eyes on the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. You've got a glorious future ahead of you. Amen. We sure do. We sure do. You know, and we need to remember when we're talking about how the Bible ends and how we know it will all be fulfilled, all this prophecy will be fulfilled, that new Babylon will suffer this complete destruction at the end of the tribulation. How do you see that playing out according to the Word of God? Well, you know what's interesting is that there's a number of indications in Scripture that open the possibility from, for some nuclear exchange. I'm not really sure if that's absolutely the case during the tribulation period, but we do read about verses that talks about how all the green grass of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees of the earth were burned up. Jesus talks about the very heavens shaking. And when you look at New Babylon, it says that New Babylon is going to be destroyed within the day. In, in other words, it's not going to be weeks and weeks and weeks. In a very quick time, during a single day, Babylon will go down. And it talks about how the smoke rising from Babylon will be visible for, for like hundreds of miles out. Yeah. And so is it possible that there could be you know, part of God's judgment involving one country launching a nuclear attack against another? I don't know. Mm-hmm. God could use his own fire if he wants to. Sure. But it's also possible that he could use the available weaponry that, that is already here because when you look at the pattern in both the Old and the New Testaments, God often uses the available armies on the earth to accomplish his purposes with another country, like he used the Babylonians and the Assyrians with their weapons against Israel. Yes. You see, so I think that that's at least a possibility. But it's well, going to be quick. It's going to happen very fast. Yeah, I would imagine a nuclear weapon being dropped would be a very quick scenario for millions of people. It's scary. Or an EMP, too. You also mentioned the possibility of that. You know, what's interesting, though, Janet, is that God also warns any Christians who happen to be in New Babylon to get out of there quick. When you look at the text in Revelation, you know, we talked about how earlier God likes to rescue his people before judgment falls. Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing is true of New Babylon. God warns any people who who, have turned to him and believed in him during the tribulation period to exit stage right. I mean, just to Mm -hmm. get out of town quick, because judgment is about to fall. By the way, Janet... Lots of people will become Christians during the tribulation period. Mm. The, the church will be raptured before that time, but due to the 144,000 Jewish witnesses and the two prophetic witnesses of Revelation 11, many people, in fact, a vast multitude, will become believers in the Lord. Goodness. Well, well, for those who remain, who come to the Lord, as you mentioned, during that period of time, are those the ones that, that will be martyred, generally speaking? As you said, some will escape. But what happens to those people, generally speaking, when we're looking at what the Bible says? Well, there will be martyrs. In fact, Revelation 6 talks about some of their martyrs. Uh, some of the Christian martyrs, and Revelation 6 portrays their bodies still on the earth where they've just been slayed, but their spirits are up in heaven, and they're talking to each other and talking talking to God, and they even ask God, God, how long will you wait before you avenge us? Yes. Mm. Well, you know, stay tuned, because the the, uh, trumpet and the bowl judgments are about to fall, and uh, Babylon is about to get destroyed in just a matter of years. And so what they pray for in Revelation 6 will ultimately be answered by the Lord. 
I think part of the martyrdom is going to relate to the squeeze play of the Antichrist in terms of the mark of the beast. You know, basically what that amounts to is that those who take the mark of the beast will not only be able to buy and sell, but they'll be able to eat. If you don't take the mark of the beast, as would be true of a believer, well, ultimately that means you don't eat. Correct. And uh, not only that, you're going to be targeted by the Antichrist for death. And not just by the Antichrist, but the scripture says that the blood of the martyrs will be flowing in the streets of New Babylon. New Babylon itself (sighs) will martyr many believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, it's going to be hard to live during that time. It really is. But that's one of the reasons why God gives so many wonderful promises to the believers living during that time. You know, he tells them, hold fast. Don't fear what's about to come on you. You've got the crown of life awaiting you. You know, and even if you die, uh, you've got eternal life. Right. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's such an encouragement. And so given all of this, when you see a lot of Christians looking at the signs of the times, as you say, you may may be doing headline prophecy and going to the Internet and saying, "Okay, where do we see scripture fulfilled today? There is a lot of fear, I think, about trends in society and what will happen to Christians now. And people will sometimes do a separation between my own life and then that life of those Christians who will be there during the time of New Babylon. And nobody knows the time or the day when this will all actually take place. But, you know, how concerned should Christians be in the interim about the effects of this rising Babylon now prior to the rapture? Well, my feeling is this. The center of Bible prophecy is Jesus Christ. Whether you're talking about the first coming or the second coming, Bible prophecy hinges and centers on the person of Jesus Christ. Yes. So my goal is, is to encourage people not to focus their eyes on bad things, but to focus their eyes on the Savior who walks with them as a shepherd through every circumstance they will encounter. Mm-hmm. Believers are never alone no matter what they face. And even if some of these signs of the times start coming to pass in our day, and persecution increases, and there's martyrdom of Christians around the world today, no matter what happens, we are never alone, because our divine shepherd has us by the hand, walking us through all of that, even when we go through that dark valley. You see, so I'm I'm encouraging people to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the, the author and the finisher of our faith, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, uh, he who is the center of Bible prophecy, the Redeemer, the Savior, the one who is in control of all things. And in fact, I might mention to you, Janet, that he's really the heart of Revelation itself. Sure. You know, in terms of Bible prophecy, Jesus not only spoke sermons of Bible prophecy, but he also called Paul as his messenger to deliver his message to the Jews and the Gentiles. That means that whatever Paul said about prophecy was Christ's message. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, says that the revelation was given to John by Jesus Christ. That's right. And even the Old Testament prophets, when you look at 1 Peter 1.11, it talks about how the Spirit of Christ spoke through all the Old Testament prophets. So Jesus is the source of all of this knowledge in terms of biblical prophecy. And it's that same Jesus that takes us by the hand 
and walks us through whatever difficult circumstances we may face in the end times. Well, that's so encouraging, and that's absolutely right. Jesus Christ is the center of all of it, and He is the reason why we will be able to remain faithful to Him. It's all by His grace. The name of the book is New Babylon Rising, the Emerging End Times World Order. Dr. Ron Rhodes joining us, and so good to talk to you, Dr. Rhodes. God bless you, and keep up the good work. I just love having you here. Well, thank you so much. God bless you, too. All right. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us today on Janet Meffer Today. We will see you next time.